you very much indeed for inviting me again. It's a great, uh, it's a great honour. Um, my wife and I come to the Institute quite regularly, um, but this is the first time I have had to, as they say in English, sing for my supper. So, <laughs> so I hope I'm in tune. Um, thank you very much for, uh, for inviting me. Um, when I made my maiden speech in the House of Lords uh, 36 years ago, I arrived in the House of Lords when I was only 28 years old, um, one of the speakers after me, uh, you're meant to be polite to somebody if they have made their maiden speech, uh, des described me as an expert. His definition of expert was X being an unknown quantity and spurt being a drip of water under pressure. <laughs> so, uh, so I am here with that level of uh, expertise uh, today. Uh, the good news, ladies and gentlemen, is there are no overhead slides, so you will not be suffering from what I suffered from for 31 years as a headhunter, which is a syndrome known as DBPP, death by PowerPoint. <laughs> so in terms of today's subject, um, will Brexit affect the relationships between Italy and the UK in education, healthcare, research and science? The answer, very simply, is yes. And I could probably finish my talk there, if you, uh, if you like. Um, yes, Brexit is, uh, is affecting everything. But, uh, and there is always a but. What kind of Brexit will we get? Um, we have an expression in English, uh, which is, when something is as clear as mud, it means you have absolutely no idea at all about what is going on. The Palace of Westminster at the moment uh, would be a very fertile hunting ground for psychotherapists because there are a lot of uh, parliamentarians in both houses um, who are running around like headless chickens. Um, uh, many of us aren't sleeping very well. I ran into a very nice uh, Labour Member of Parliament who represents a Scottish constituency the day before yesterday and I sort of said to him, I said, Martin, do you ever wake up in the early hours of the morning and you can't go back to sleep and you're thinking about Brexit? And he said, yes. And we both said, thank God, we're not the only person uh, that is waking up in the middle of the night worrying about this. He also told me, and this is a true story, that he was slightly surprised last week to receive an email from one of his constituents in Edinburgh saying, Dear Mr Whitfield, I thought you ought to know, are you aware that the UK is leaving the European Union? That was last week, so that shows you how uh, well educated some of the British uh, electorate are. Um, and anybody who tells you, if you ask somebody what is going to happen, if they tell you what's going to happen, you know they are lying, uh, because nobody has any idea what's, uh, what's going on. So how on earth did the United Kingdom, the, uh, that sensible, pragmatic, cradle of common sense and Western democracy, how on earth did we manage to get ourselves into this mess? Have we all gone completely mad? Um, in order to illustrate this, I have, um, I have gone to one of the great authorities about English culture and language, uh, and that is the works of uh, Monty Python. 
And uh, I'm sure many of you are aware of the Monty Python film called The Life of Brian. And the script goes like this. We hate the EU, say the leavers. Apart from the sanitation, the medicine, the education, the wine, the public order, the roads, the freshwater system, public health, pizza, espresso, burrata, and alluia, what on earth has the EU ever done for us? <laughs> <laughs> Last week I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Elisabetta Casellati, who is the first lady president of your Senate, the equivalent of our House of Lords. And we were having lunch in a very smart room uh, in the House of Lords, um, looking out on the rain, rather like today. Um, and I asked uh, Madame Casalati, I said, um, if there's one thing Italy is very expert in and is experienced in, it is political crises. <laughs> so what advice would you give us in the UK about how to manage our way through this political crisis? Her answer was, well, each crisis is different and it bespoke. And if you really want to understand them, I could provide you with a crisis recipe book. Not a very helpful answer, uh, because we were hoping for something a bit more uh, accurate. So what is causing the increased polarization of society and politics across Europe? It is bizarre to reflect that as uh, technology, in theory, makes us more and more connected, technically, the less connected we seem to be in terms of understanding and cooperation. It is actually having the opposite effect. There is a general distrust of politicians, of elites, and the sense that uh, they don't understand us. And of course, 10 years ago, we had the financial crisis. We have had a decade of subsequent pain, austerity, austerity, and the feeling by many people, who can we blame for this situation? There is perhaps a parallel, to some extent, between Italy and the United Kingdom. You have uh, Campanilismo, we have uh, the disunited kingdom. And we are asking ourselves questions like, who are we? What are we? Where are we going? Why is there a growing gap? between the haves and the have-nots. And for some people, why are people who are different to us coming to our country, living here, and taking our jobs? I was sent a very interesting piece of research that was done in September 2016, so only about three months after the referendum. And it went into real depth as to why people, whether they voted leave or remain, why they had voted the way they did. And the results are quite interesting. 30% so of leave voters had little or no knowledge of, or even interest in, the EU. The EU was completely irrelevant to the fact they voted to leave. They voted to show a dislike of David Cameron, of politics, of politicians, they wanted to make the voice of their communities, which they felt were in decline, they wanted to be heard. It was a shout of anger from people who felt ignored and unwanted. 
Another bizarre fact, if you look across all of the voters, whether they voted Leave or Remain, there was one single issue which the majority of voters thought was really important. You will never guess what it is. What they agreed on was it would be really important to stay in the single market. That shows how well people who voted to leave understood how the EU works. That is true. And Monty Python couldn't have even imagined that. In Italy, you have your own challenges, um, both politically and economically. Um, as a member of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, um, which is a bit like um, an European version of the United Nations, um, I have met some of your politicians from some of your more colourful political parties, and I would say the experience is, to use a very English expression, very interesting. <laughs> uh, the day that uh, President Mattarella rejected the first cabinet that was proposed to him by your current coalition government, I happened to meet uh, your ambassador, Raffaele Trombetto, at a reception uh, here in, uh, in Grosvenor Square. And I went up to him and I said, Raffaele, thank you. And he said, what are you thanking me for? And I said, thank you for making us look good. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of laughed. So. Anyway, I think because of that, you probably understand what we're going through in this country. Please accept my apologies if any of you came to this country thinking you would find an oasis of political peace and calm, because that's not exactly the way it feels here at the moment. So what would uh, Marcello Malpighi make of the current situation we are in? As the first Italian ever elected to the Royal Academy, I think he would be sympathetic and probably rather sorry for us. As the brilliant researcher who revealed the mystery of our pulmonary and capillary networks, I think he would probably diagnose that the UK's cardiovascular system <coughs> clearly needs some intervention. And he was also the discoverer of how our taste buds work. And I think he would probably be the person who would be best qualified to comment on Elisabetta Casellati's crisis recipe book. I'm not sure how nice some of those recipes would taste. But more seriously, what Madame Casabati was particularly worried about and was asking questions during the lunch in Parliament was, what about the status and the state of mind of the 700,000 of your fellow citizens who are living and working here in the UK? I personally think they will be fine. Um, and I personally, and the vast majority of my colleagues in both Houses of Parliament, uh, will do our utmost <coughs> to make sure that is the case. Um, and it would be fair to say I would have a few differences of opinion with Theresa May on how this has all been handled. But looking more seriously at the subject of uh, what I'm meant to be talking to you about, so in education. In education in this country, we have about 5,750 university faculty staff who are Italian. And we have about another 6,750 who are studying here for either PhDs or for masters. 
and about 35% of, uh, of, of the Italian university staff are actually here in London, um, at UCL, at King's, Imperial, Queen Mary, and LSE. Before Brexit, uh, Italians were the fastest, one of the fastest growing national groups coming to teach and work in our universities. Uh, a recent survey, post-Brexit, I am ashamed to say, said that up to 80% of those Italians working in our universities are seriously thinking about having to move abroad. There is a lot of concern about reductions in EU funding for research, and it is becoming harder to recruit, attract, and retain international talent to our universities, and also to, to actually form some collaboration projects with universities uh, in the continental EU. So uncertainty is, is, all, is all pervasive. It's like a disease in itself. And this is an interesting quote from uh, Professor Stuart Croft. He is the Vice-Chancellor of Warwick University. And Warwick University has 101 Italians working in its different faculties. This is him speaking. Immediately after the referendum, I had a feeling of loss, of grief. I called a staff meeting and 650 staff turned up. The feeling of devastation was shared by every single person. It was a really painful, painful period. And today, we just have the most extraordinary uncertainty. We next moved to healthcare. There are 1,290 Italians working in life sciences in our universities. The co-chair of the, uh, the Brexit Health Alliance says, we hope for the best, but we plan for the worst. Each month, the UK is exporting 45 million medication packs across to continental Europe, and we are importing 37 million the other way. There is regulatory uncertainty as to whether EMA and the UK MHRA will be able to work as closely together as both, both organisations would wish to. There is only one pharmacovigilance database in the, in, in the EU, and there is a risk, if things go wrong after Brexit, that the UK might be excluded from that, and that is, uh, that is a very serious matter. And there is also current concern about the 2020 to 2027 phase of research funding under Horizon Europe, which is a matter of huge importance to, uh, to our universities and to medical faculties all over this country. Mike Thompson, who is the chief executive of the ABPI, I, I expect some of you may know him, uh, said whether the details of any specific sector will be understood by those doing complex negotiations at two o'clock in the morning is the bit that worries us all. The next sector is research and science. 17% of researchers in the UK come from other EU countries. And for all of them, one of the key aspects of their work is the ability to have international mobility. For example, 72% of all UK national researchers have traveled and worked abroad. 
90% of the fellows of the National Academy, that's the Royal Society, the Royal British Academy, the Royal Academy of Engineering, and the Academy of Medical Sciences. So 90% of them said that mobility, international mobility, during their careers has been absolutely fundamental to what they have been able to achieve. Interestingly, internationally mobile researchers publish research articles with citation rates that are 40% higher than those published by researchers who are not or have not been internationally mobile. And 23% of UK research infrastructure staff come from elsewhere in the EU. So I hope we're all thoroughly uh, depressed by now. <laughs> so will Brexit affect US-Italian relations? I have asked my resident go-to expert, um, Lady Russell, who's here somewhere, and she told me, no. Uh, we have so much more that I think unites us than divides us. As you know, the British have a passionate uh, love affair with Italy, and I think Italians love and respect the UK's openness, our relative efficiency, our meritocracy, and the opportunity that each of us have to, to work and to develop ourselves. And in conclusion, I would return to the in, infallible wisdom um, of Monty Python. If you want to understand the British, you need to understand Monty Python. And one of the, uh, the great political commentators in Monty Python was one of the members called Mr. Eric Idle. And um, he wrote the words to a song which go like this. Some things in life are sad. They can make you really mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you are chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle, and this will help things turn out for the best. And always look on the bright side of life. Or, in the words of a poster which I saw together with my youngest son, as we participated in the recent second referendum march here in London, there was a poster which said, testiculi ad Brexitam. <laughs> Bollocks to Brexit, which is exactly what they said. So thank you very much.